Welcome to the Pinning Combination Podcast, our final episode of the 21-22 season. Uh, I'm KJ Pilcher alongside Dick Briggs, as always. We're getting ready to, to break down and, and discuss uh, the NCAA Division I Championship and uh, a few other things. Coach, uh, you know, it, it was fun. I tell you what, it was fun to have a uh, full crowd up in uh, Little Caesars Arena. We, uh, I think they drew 106,000 fans over the three days, six sessions, uh, routinely 17,000, 18,000 uh, fans in attendance for each session. So it was uh, pretty fun. And I tell you what, uh, wrestlers put on a show this weekend or last weekend without question the uh the um great to have the fans back obviously the ncaa can start regaining their footing with their financial loss and then uh the uh but more, more importantly uh, as far as the athletes are concerned i mean they they responded they put on a great show and the crowd appreciated it and and there was a i'm sure a huge following watching on on uh, television as well. So it's just, it was great to, I mean, what a great weekend. Yeah. And I, I think, uh, I think Andrew Spay of flow wrestling um, uh, has tweeted out there. Numbers are up uh, from last year and the year before, which I find kind of interesting considering uh, there were no fans in the arena last year. So a lot of them, that's the only way they could watch, but uh, uh this year they were, uh, the numbers were higher. And like you said, it's a kind of a, uh, kind of back to not quite back to normal, but, uh, see things are kind of regaining their footing. Um, and, uh, the one thing that really kind of stood out at least early on now, as the tournament went on, the higher seeds kind of, um, were, were fine, but, Early on, especially Thursday, my goodness, uh, the only thing that was predictable was that the results were unpredictable. Um, I think 15, um, 15 winners of uh, were 20 seeds or higher. Um, wow. Three of them, three of them alone were from Purdue, where I think they had um, uh, Garrett Ninehouse. Uh, Matt Ramos, who pinned Lucas Bird from Illinois right out of the gate. Um, and then uh, there's one other one that was in, uh, Parker Phileas, who actually had a couple big wins at the Big Ten, so not a huge surprise, but he uh, upset Ian Parker uh, right out of the gate from Iowa State. So Purdue had three of those 15 guys, but it was uh, it was something to see uh, – those guys win early, those, uh, get those upsets early and really, really cause some, uh, big matchups on, in the consolation brackets between some, uh, really good wrestlers. Right. And, you know, those folks that fill out, uh, fill out their brackets and so forth, you know, it's kind of bracket busters, I guess, but you know, that's going to happen in the tournament, but maybe not to that level. Like you said, so many down in the 20 double digits and the, even some 20 seeds, you said. So uh, very crazy. But that's what makes it fun and exciting. And that's what makes people tune in, I guess. Yeah. You know, uh, 
as far as the the team race goes, Penn State won uh, kind of, uh, and they do this, and um, we've seen them do it, uh, you know, in the past where they haven't won the Big Ten, but you know, they're they're focused on the NCAA's and uh, they turn things around for for that. They finished uh, 36 and a half points ahead of Michigan. Um, Iowa was a distant third, 21 points back of Michigan, who had a champ in Nick Siriano. But uh, Penn State, five for five in the finals. Um, I tell you what, uh, uh, they're just, when it comes to the later rounds of the NCAA tournament, they've been almost gold. They have been gold, really, uh, literally. Um, you know, the last last five six years right and then uh to have you know five champions half of the weights go undefeated and win the tournament i mean that's better than they did in the big tens which speaks well of the big ten how tough that tournament is but uh but yeah penn state i mean they just it's just like it's it's their weekend and then that needs to that needs to change right <laughs> yeah um and the five champs ties a record that's been held by a handful of teams. Uh, Iowa's done it twice. I want to say it's 1986 and 97. Oklahoma State did it, I think, in 2005. Uh, Penn State had done it previously in 2017 as well. So, um, you know, uh, some really good uh, – uh, that's a good accomplishment uh, uh, for them. And one that's not necessarily that surprising given – you know, Roman Bravo Young won at 133, and he was number one seed. Nick Lee was Nick Lee was number one seed at 141. Uh, Aaron Brooks uh, avenged the loss at uh, at 184 uh, and beat Miles Amin. Um, Max Dean uh, scored all three points in the final period. Uh, top Jacob Warner three to two. They're at 97. Uh, the one that was probably my favorite match or what I think was the best match of the finals was at 174. Carter Starochi, the number one seed, uh, beat uh, Makai Lewis um, on uh, criteria and the tiebreaker. Um, but that just – those uh, those five Penn State wrestlers were, were right there, one, two seeds, and, and they came through. Right. I mean, you know, four of those five are returning champs. So it's absolutely no surprise. Uh, I mean, it's not a given that you're going to win it, but it's certainly not a surprise either. And then, of course, Dean moving in, uh, you know, adding to that firepower. Uh, that, yeah. So no question. They were just loaded for bear. Yep. And, and I agree with you on that on that uh, 74 pound match. And it seemed to be to me there was a lot of overtime matches that went down, you know, a lot of them were ended in that two minute sudden victory, but then a lot of them also went to that riding time. And uh, I guess if that's what it's going to go down to, but uh, so uh, maybe, I don't know what the pins were. I know those were down a little bit, but, uh, but I think the overtimes were certainly up. <laughs> yeah. I, I thought, uh, I thought I saw something uh, from Andy Hamilton that he tweeted uh, that pins over the last decade have kind of steadily, um, uh, gone down. I want to say, you know, they'd been, there were some times where they peaked in the seventies or something. Maybe they're even as low as 58 this year. 
um, you know, in the NCAs, but I'll, I'll see if I can uh, find that for sure. But um, you mentioned the, the multi-time champs. That's what um, I thought was really interesting when I was kind of putting together the synopsis uh, Saturday night was uh, Suriano. He won his second title. Uh, he'd won previously at Rutgers at 133 and now down at 125 for Michigan. Uh, he won his second title. Roman Bravo Young won his second in a row. Nick Lee won his second in a row. Uh, Yanni Diakamahalis, uh, he won at uh, 149 and won his third straight, actually. Um, then at uh, 174, you had Carter Starochi that won his second in a row. Um, Aaron Brooks won his second in a row. And then you had Gable Stevenson uh, at heavyweight um, win his second, too. So that's 70% of the champions uh, or multi-time champions. Uh, that's saying something just about the talent. Um, and, of course, you know, the, the one thing that's a little bittersweet, I understand he's going on to bigger things. He's done – he's accomplished a lot. But it was kind of tough to see one of the – one of the wrestlers that's going to go down as, uh, as an all-time great, Gable Stevenson, put his uh, shoes in the center of the mat when he still has eligibility um, left, but decided to go a different route. Yeah, it, uh, that's impressive. Holy cow, I didn't realize there were seven of the ten that were returning champs. And, and, I, and I like how you rephrased it with Yanni Diakonalis when he wasn't three straight because he he wasn't in the tournament last year right with Cornell and the Ivy League not participating but his, it was his third straight just not consecutive uh, in terms of the tournament so um he's and I believe he's got another year right yes yeah, yeah. so I mean he can be a four-timer that's he's in line to be the four-timer next year we could have two four-timers so uh things line up I guess so yeah yeah so anyway that's that's impressive and and uh said, what do you say I mean yeah, that guy's crazy good, but it happens every year that you, ha you have people graduate. Like I remember when I was the year that, uh, that, uh, um, Dake was done. And then I think it was the next year Taylor was done. And it was just some of my favorite, most fun guys to watch Russell, very aggressive, you know, and, and, uh, are just done. So that happens every year, but I mean, certainly Stevenson's, I mean, he, he's a, what do you even say? I mean, he, I mean, of all of the great heavyweights, he's, I mean, you got to consider him the greatest, certainly. So, I mean, because the heavyweight class is not a weak weight class. It never is. But, I mean, this year he just made, kind of made it look easy. So Yeah, and I want to say, uh, I think it was Jason Bryant that uh, mentioned this. I think there were seven world-level medalists in the heavyweight bracket. Wow. Between uh, Stevenson, Mason Paris, Colton Schultz. Uh, Tony Cassiope, uh, Lucas Davison uh, from Northwestern is in there. Um, not sure if Wood from Lehigh uh, is in there as well, but I know he mentioned that there are seven seven wrestlers wow. um, that have you know whether it was cadet or senior you know, uh, whatever world, world level, world level medalists at one time. And, uh, 
Oh, Kirk Vallette was another one. Um, so that that tells you about how uh, how strong, how deep that uh, that weight class was uh, this year. Right, and and he never made it look like he was ever in trouble. I mean, he, a couple of matches went were just decisions. Go figure. I mean, come on, Gable, what's going on here? <laughs> but I mean, he just still made made it look easy, and and uh, you know. Gable, he took a little, it was, he was the feature match, right? So they had him last and, you know, he took a little bit extra time, you know, more so than any others, but, you know, getting off the mat, but you know, like, I guess the guy, guy earned it, you know, cause he was doing his, you know, first his flip and then his shoes and then his, his flexing. And, you know, and, you know, to me, if someone else did that, it might be a little bit much, but he's a showman. He's going to be doing that and making a lot of money. doing it. So it's kind of the start of the Gable show, I guess. So. Well, I, that's kind of that's kind of interesting. There's a right. There's a. It's kind of indicative of what he's doing now, because, like you mentioned, he he did his uh, backflip, which he's done. You know, uh, he he did it at uh, Apple Valley, I think, when he finished off his career there. He's done it before at the college level. He put his shoes out, signifying he, he's done competing amateurly, and then. You know, then you go right into, hey, this is what the future is going to be and the flexing and the, you know, the the posturing and, you know, the showmanship just right there. You just kind of saw the transition happen right in front of you. That's, um, yeah, that's exactly what I was seeing myself as it was happening. It was just like, yeah, and of course he did it at the Olympic level, you know, after he won the Olympics, he did his flip and, you know, but little flexing and a little talk, you know, and it wasn't smack talk or anything. He was very appreciative. That's coming later, I think. So, yeah. Um, what I thought was really, really interesting, and this was uh, in the pre tournament press conference with uh, Stevenson, somebody, somebody just kind of asked why going pro now, you know, what about the future? You still have, you know, another run. And he, he kind of mentioned, uh, it's not verbatim, but kind of mentioned, you know, this is like a two or three year contract and it would be done by, you know, right around 24, 2026. And he did not rule out the idea of maybe rejoining the freestyle ranks um, in the future, you know, uh, that's thing. It'd be kind of hard to do. Um, but you know, he, he kind of left that door ajar just a little bit. Um, you know, so it'll be interesting to see, um, how that progresses. You know, and, and that's fair. I mean, I, I don't want to say pad the pockets, but give yourself a, a you know, a, a nice, uh, that golden egg's not going to be there forever. So take advantage of it. And, uh, you know, I don't know that coming back would be the best choice. You know, he's got a legacy now and, and, uh, you know, I don't know that you add much to that. Certainly if you add another gold that does, but you also run the risk of not winning it. And now your legacy kind of falls a bit, but, uh, um, so it's kind of neat that he left that door open though. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, of all the finalists, <coughs> Uh, who was your surprise finalist? Who was somebody that uh, got in there that you did not really think uh, we would have seen? Well, <coughs> you know, I, I, I was looking at that, and, and there's a few choices here, I think. So you got Quincy Mundy from Princeton, 
who was was in there. You know, he's a, you know did a good job. Warner, at, you know, was the sixth seed and is a runner up. Um, Clark, you know, Kazan Clark from from uh, North Carolina. But you know, Clark beat a, a hurting Ironman, the number two seed. Then he beat the number ten and number six seed to make the finals. And I mean, so he, he really did a great job. Don't get me wrong. I think he was 15th seed, if I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. But so for me, I, I had to go with Ridge Lovett. I know he, he was, he was coming in at 10th and, and just did a great job. So I went with Ridge Lovett. I didn't go with the obvious. So. Uh, I, I think uh, Ridge Lovett's a, a good choice as well. The only, the only thing. <laughs> Uh, about 149 that I thought was kind of interesting just with, you know, uh, obviously, you know, you had Gomez who had beaten Sasso um, before. I just thought the two best 49-pounders were on that top side with Diakama Hollis and, and Sasso. Um, and I thought it was just kind of wide open. Um, but I tell you what, Ridge Lovett uh, really wrestled well. Um Took it to Tariq Wilson, um, you know, in their uh, in their quarterfinal match. Um, uh, for me, I'm going to go with, with Quincy Monday. Um, and the thing the thing about him as well, he really was right there in position to win um, in the finals too. Mm -hmm. uh, there is a uh, the neutral danger zone, and this is something. Uh, Get your uh, get your perspective on this, coach, because I know a lot of people were kind of up in arms. Uh, what what happened in the finals for people that may not have seen it? Uh, Ryan Deacon had uh, Quincy Monday um, in neutral danger, got the three count, and he was on his back and was just able to kind of sit on him after the three three count to get the two takedown, and then it transitioned right into near fall points which the rule uh but some people were saying you know it's a little disingenuous I, I mean you know it's just kind of a tough way to to give up six which really was the difference there right and, and that was late in the match i believe it and uh you know i i didn't i didn't understand why monday didn't release it after he'd given no, up he should have bailed what's that he should have bailed. Right, right. That, that was, and so I don't understand why he didn't do that. But you know the the uh, wrestling has really created that rule. I mean, as as wrestling has has grown and the diving through and passing ankles and legs and and getting into that scramble situation, which to me is very exciting. I like that. That's that's a lot more fun than watching guys push and shove and play the edge and things like that. Like you know, wrestling kind of used to be. But I, I really like that type of wrestling, but it's created this rule, this neutral danger. And man, I'm seeing him. I'm going, man, that's how the guy's going to win a national title. And he's never really, potentially never could have had a takedown. I don't think he did. He ever, yeah, I think I did give it up eventually. I think, but, but uh, you know, so it's just, it is what it is. Wrestling's evolved to that and, and it's created that rule. And here we are. You know, to avoid, to avoid what happened in the finals, because um, like I, like I said, that I mean that was a huge going from giving up two to six is a big difference. 
Mm-hmm. You know, and I know you you officiate, you coach, you wrestled, you've been through just about every aspect. What would you say about you know still having neutral danger, but when two points is awarded for a takedown, stop and restart in top bottom position. Right, unless the situation changes, and and the the top wrestler now catches him or you know, keeps him on his back or whatever. Like in that situation, nothing changed. It was never control really. It was just that neutral danger. And then he was just leaning back and creating that 45 degree angle now and getting the count. And, and so in that, I could see that it's kind of like, you know, with the, with the stalling where they hold it up and stop writing time, maybe there's some rule uh, some signal that we can create that we've got the takedown, but we're not giving near fall unless sure. the situation changes. I don't know. That's and then does that become subjective and officials have more to do there? I don't know. Yeah. And it's uh tough. You know, one thing I, I want to say, uh, too, uh, especially Saturday morning, we happened to – the way they configured uh, the mats, they went with four mats in kind of a, a square um, layout. So we were right up against – media row was right up against one of the tables. It was interesting to see the conversation and back and forth and what exactly – you know, how officials handle reviews up close. Um, and I'll, I'll straight out say it. It was uh, NC State and you and I, uh, I think it was Hidley and uh, uh, Keck Eisen. Um, there were a couple uh, uh, calls that were reviewed, and it happened to be an Iowa official and Kurt Frost. Uh, I thought I, I gained a little bit of I, – I say a little bit of respect because I respect him already. I'm – you know, don't want it to sound weird, but I thought he handled everything very, very well because it each time he got a lot of, of fire from uh, one Schwab, uh, and then even from Pat Papalizio, uh, the NC State coach, and you know he he handled it. He you know they were they were being more animate animated, and he just said, "Hey, they're going to look at it. Okay, there's nothing else to talk about. They'll look at it and." We'll see. And I think one was overturned and one was upheld, you know, and went right back to, to officiating, um, you know, and and it was it just was kind of interesting to see kind of uh, kind of the pressure from the coaches and how to how the officials handle that and, and kind of uh, um, how that worked. Now, the one thing I will say, not necessarily that instance, but there are a lot of times throughout the tournament where they still need to find a way to quicken the process. They need to find a way to streamline things, whether it's what what's being challenged, you know, and what coaches are allowed to throw bricks out for to uh, – to the review process or, or what have you. Um, there, there are a lot of delays that I think impeded the natural flow of matches and the rounds and, and stuff like that. So they, they still need to tweak the process. Right. And, and uh, a couple of comments on that. First of all, I think Frost had the, 
uh, in the finals, he was able to uh, blow in the, uh, one of the matches that was the, ma the main official in the finals, which means he was one of the top 10 rated officials in the tournament. There's 20 officials in the top 10 uh, blow the whistle in the finals in one match, and, the, and then the other 10 are assistant. So he was awarded the top 10 rating, ranking or rating. And uh, then I think he drew the toughest match to officiate in the finals because he had to go to the, they had to go to review a couple of times in that match too. Might have been yeah. the seventy four pound match. I think it? it was. Yeah, and uh, and then uh, uh, so he had a, he had a, he earned his money that night. Yeah, <laughs> and, for sure. And uh, you know, so as far as reviewing um, and speeding it up, I don't know. Sometimes if it's technology, they have to get to that point in the match where they can see it or what the delay is, but or if they're just slow making the decision or having to look at it so, so long that it's that close of a review. Um, but I agree, you know, and, it, and then it becomes an advantage. You know, if someone's on the edge, you know, with their conditioning and now they get this break and, and come back and now they're, they're strong again, you know, they have yeah. chance to catch their breath. So uh, it can be an advantage too. And maybe coaches even throw bricks out. I don't know, you know, to you thinking of that late in the, tournament you know they're going to save their bricks early in the tournament but you know so you never know yeah but if you know if you have them at a certain point especially um you know i think there is one that was uh i can't remember the match where there are two consecutive reviews you know and who's to say you know i i think one of them was whether it was a takedown on the edge it got reviewed and then or no takedown, they went and reviewed it, said takedown, then they went back the other corner, challenged whether or not they had been actually out of bounds mm -hmm. before that sequence even happened. And, you know, then you had like a, a four, four minute delay to be able to, to catch your breath and, and stuff like that. That was, um, I can't remember but, what match that was, but that was that was the one you said. Strategy thing. I think it was Heidley and Kakaisen, where Kakaisen had the double, was in on the legs, toes are clearly in. Heidley's sitting back, off, kind of off the mat by the the score table, mm -hmm. and uh, I think they waved that off, which is unfortunate because uh, Kakaisen, man, that was a takedown in my book, but. Yeah. Heidly went off. I think they he got one that in that situation, and then later on in the match they waved one off. If I remember right. So, I think so. And 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 if I don't could in the arena, couldn't they put the mats end to end and have four? Because a lot of times they do that rather than have four in a in a square. Well, what I thought was interesting, and the thing that we noticed um, on press row is normally they go three across. Uh, hadn't seen the the four, and I couldn't remember. Talking with Cody Goodwin, couldn't remember if they had the the square. Um, yeah, it was because there was nobody on the floor, so you could you had the extra room. But normally they have three mats across to where that's not even an issue. You right. know? So I don't I don't know, but they might they might go to that. I know there are some people that were saying that because of that. Uh, they wanted to see media off the floor. So, but uh, while we talked about our surprise finalists, uh, overall in the tournament, who was who your OW? Who was well, your outstanding wrestler out of uh, the entire field? 
why don't why don't I let you go first since I I went first last time and then so you I don't take your guy or whatever. <laughs> okay. Well, I I've kind of got three that I'm kind of really thinking of, uh, or, or three finalists I would say. Uh, obviously, Gable Stevenson uh, at heavyweight, uh, one seventy four Carter Starochi, uh, just because that finals match with Makai Lewis, two NCAA champs. Um, you know, uh, and that was the, uh, match of the, uh, the finals. Uh, and then I think the one I'm actually, I'm going to, I'm going to split it. I'm going to split it between Gable Stevenson and Keegan O'Toole of Missouri. Uh, O'Toole, a freshman finishes on unbeaten season. Um, you know, at 165 pounds winning the title there. Um, that was, uh, you know, that was a weight class that I think was pretty stacked when you looked at, you know, uh, all the, all the guys in that bracket, you got Evan Wick, um, you know, you've got Shane Griffith, who was a returning, uh, national champ from Stanford that, uh, O'Toole beat, uh, six to five in the finals. You had, uh, Marinelli. Uh, you have you had uh, Cam Amin, who eventually lost to Marinelli and was a Big Ten runner-up. Um, you had Dean Hamity in there. Um, you had a really deep, talented weight class at 165, and he was able to come through, uh, get wins. You know, he opened with a pin and then didn't give up a point until he faced Shane Griffith in the final. Uh, he won 7-0, 2-0, uh, over Carson Karchla. Oh, by the way, Carson Karchla had the biggest, ugliest black eye that uh, I've seen in quite a long time. And uh, he was walking by and somebody from the media said, uh, hey, a gnarly eye. And he just turned smiles and said, thanks. <laughs> so, that's, like a, that's like a trophy for wrestlers, man. That's a, yeah. yeah, right. <laughs> um, so. Just with it, you know, like I said, opening fall, then he outscored three straight opponents in the uh, second round quarters and semis, uh, 13 to nothing, um, and then knocked off uh, a returning national champ. So I'll, I'll go with Keegan O'Toole uh, at 165. All right. So I'm going to go with, so I mean, Gable's the easy pick. I mean, yeah. who, who, could, who could dispute that? Kind of set that aside. I also liked, I liked Nick Lee. He was solid. I had O'Toole, man. Great choice. But call me nuts. I'm going with Yanni D. <laughs> Maybe just because I wanted to say Same, that. Call right? me nuts. That was, that was a quote, and I would not be surprised if that's on an NIL shirt, oh. uh, name, image, image, and likeness shirt. Uh, but that was, yeah. I uh, got a chuckle out of that uh, that post match uh, interview, and you know, there's something to say about you know they didn't have a season last year, right? You know, and for him to come out and wrestle the way he did, you know, uh, he was in control and strong throughout. Even though there were times where he didn't like it, obviously, you know, uh, he had to semifinals. Yep. <laughs> but that's a that's a really good choice too. Yeah. And Yanni D, uh, I believe uh was it 
was this his first time up at 149? Was it? Yeah. Yeah. Cause so not only two years ago, but it was also up a weight class, you know, and he just, he's so darn good. I mean, he just makes things look easy too, you know, right. other than that semifinal match when he shut down and, you know, so, which he is mad at, but you know, but he's man, that guy is so good. Now, he, I think we're going to see him on the world stage too. Oh yeah. Yep. Uh, so, uh, as far as, uh, Iowa, you and I, and Iowa state, who, uh, who was your, let's, before we delve into, well, let's just, uh, let's just talk uh, about the teams. Um, first, Iowa uh, comes away, they come away with five All-Americans. Mentioned Jacob Warder uh, reached the finals. Uh, Austin DeSanto uh, lost another close one in the semis to Roman Bravo Young, and he came back and finished third. Um, Michael Kemmerer finished fourth. Alex Marinelli, fifth. Uh, and then Tony Cassiope seventh, um, you know, they finish uh, third overall as a team. And I tell you what, um, I know it's going to, it's going to upset a lot of Iowa fans for me to say this, but <clears throat> I don't think their tournament was as bad as what a lot of people think it was um, because that, that tournament was circling the toilet bowl yeah. Friday morning. And yeah. I really do think they kind of salvaged a decent, I'm not saying it was good. I, it was below expectations for sure, but I think they salvaged um, a respectable finish from the fact that, you know, you had a, you, you kind of had a, a tur there Friday morning. <laughs> right. You know, and I, mean, I said it last week, I thought they were in danger of maybe not even winning a trophy. I mean, they had that possibility based on injuries and, and other things, you know, um, Ironman basically having to default out and being, you know, half the wrestler that he normally is. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I, I admire and respect Kemmerer, man. I mean, he, he battled through with his shoulder and, uh, and, and finished fourth. And, and that's better than I expected out of Kim. So, you know, that, that good for him to be able to finish that way. And, and uh, you know, DeSanto did what DeSanto was, I thought he was going to do. He took third and he could have got, I don't, I don't see him, I really didn't see him reaching above that. That would have been a huge upset to, to upset uh, RBY. But uh, um, he could have certainly fell below it too, and he didn't. So, no good there. Uh, obviously, Warner stepping up and and making the finals and and uh, you know so congratulations to Jacob because I didn't see that happening either and and uh, you know maybe Cassiope but we just talked about how tough heavyweight is so you know maybe he's feeling like he should have been a little bit higher but geez that's a tough weight class so um, yeah so I agree with you you know they kind of salvaged it did, did a nice job of, of battling back and getting through yeah. Um... The thing with Warner that, you know, I, if you remember at the Big Tens, I thought he was one of the guys in the Big Tens that could wrestle above the sea, but um, didn't. I thought this was the kind of performance that we've been kind of waiting for Jacob Warner, you know, to have. Well, at least I have. Um, but there is a considerable difference in Jacob Warner in his quarterfinal and his semifinal. And that was 
there was an intensity in Jacob Warner against Eric Schultz when he was riding him in the second period that I don't know if we've seen on a regular basis. I mean, he was he was popping Schultz up and driving him down and, you know, even drove him into the the table at one point, you know, just because the momentum carried him off. And he was able to finish matches, and uh, he was able to do that against Buchanan in the semis. Um, and he, he wrestled well on top, like we mentioned, rode uh, uh, Schultz out for two minutes in the, the quarterfinals, uh, which was a big riding time point um, for him. Um, and then he was able to get uh, a tilt on Buchanan for four near fall, which happened to uh, be a huge difference. Saw him get an escape with time running out and I think it was the set. Maybe it was, yeah. I think it was the second, where he gave up a takedown and then uh, got an escape, like with about three or four seconds left to tie it two-two going into the third. And those are little things that I don't know if we've seen for Jacob Warner uh, on a regular basis, at least. So, you know, again, then you go to the finals where he wasn't able to finish it out there. Yeah. You know, but then if you look back at the way he wrestled Max Dean at Carver, it was a big improvement. You know, Max Dean really put it to him in the last minute, 90 seconds uh, to pull away. This one was still tighter, but he still gave up three points in the third period. But I still think we saw uh, a much better version of Jacob Warner, obviously, to get to the finals. Right. And, uh, you know, Jacob gave up that takedown in the, in the third period with kind of a poor shot, took a shot. He's being aggressive, trying to win it. Can't fault him for that. But it was not a real high percentage shot from distance, and it was easy to defend. But that's kind of wrestling. Again, that evolution. It seems like the guys that don't shoot win more often than the guys that do shoot. And, uh, you know, which is a, another tough pill for Iowa wrestling fans to, to swallow because they're, you know, what aggressive wrestling and but right now it's it's where wrestling's at you know um penn state's pretty good at defending and go up and down the line you, you, you know, there's a lot of takedowns that were scored but they weren't the initial person shooting so um it, you know so i you, know, you just gotta i guess adapt and, and maybe uh, jacob should have been a little bit more patient in that situation there you know with the national title on the line maybe taking it into overtime i don't know um it's easy to look back and say should have done that could have done this you know but but uh credit him for getting second again he did a great job yeah and you know the the thing too and this is what uh i wish i wish fans could see more often or actually know uh you know uh it's always hit and miss with guys that lose in the finals to whether or not they'll, they want to take questions from the media. And especially when you cover Iowa, that was a, that was the lone finalist that we had. It was imperative to talk to Jacob Warner as well as uh, some of my colleagues, right? The fact that Jacob Warner and I'm not, I'm not saying you can look at the video. He was, he was still visibly hurting, you know, he, that was, that was a tough loss. Uh, you know, there is no solace in just getting to the finals for him. 
and for him to to suck it up, come out and talk to to media when it would have been really easy to say, yeah, no thanks, you know, and just let Tom Brands do the talking for him. He came out, handled every question. Uh, what well, was a matter of fact about, uh, you know, just kind of, you know, what what went down, talked about, you know, that, you know, he kind of, you know, maybe forced the shot a little bit. And, and he talked about how he, he was able to get an escape and still thought he was going to win, you know. And like he said, uh, you know, I've, it was something about where I came up short, but I didn't falter as far as his effort went, which I, I thought was pretty cool. But, um, you know, I, same thing with David Carr, and we can use this to transition to Iowa State. I tell you what, it could have been really easy for him to fold up shop uh, and then not talk to people uh, after what he went through, getting upset in the second round. Um a real tough decision to uh, Hunter Willits of Oregon State. I think the 17 seed maybe. Um, but it just shows the integrity in class when, you know, they're willing to talk about what happened. And, you know, uh, of course, it was a little bit easier for him given the fact that he was able to, you know, finish off with a victory. Um, he ends up getting third. But one – you know, I guess I'm not surprised for David Carr just because of the the uh, the character that he has. But two, what he was able to do, I think, was it five or six wins through the backside to get third, six. I, I mean, that that shows a lot of of guts to be able to do that and come all the way back after. You know that had to be such a disappointing uh, result, really tough to swallow. You know, it seems like every year, you, maybe not even every year, but every couple of years, you have someone that is able to come back after losing. He, he lost actually in the second round, which meant six, six coming back. Um, and then, uh, but uh, so then he, but to do that, I mean, holy cow. But to do it when you're the number one seed, you know, you just lost your your title that you know that you had you know held, held for a year and and you know it, you know so that's it, it, that's very tough. And then to go a little bit further on Carr, he watching him, I mean, the guy was just he was so having so much fun and you know I would probably be up there sulking and mad at myself and doing all those things, but he he kind of blocked that out and was was right in the corner of his teammate. Uh, younger Bastida when he won his last match and picking him mm -hmm. up and hugging him. And, and then uh, I don't know if you saw this also, he was, uh, he uh, was, I think it was Aaron Brooks when he won his match, went up and uh, we gave him a big bear hug too. So um, obviously they're friends from uh, probably being on different world level teams or whatever. So uh, that was pretty cool. But, you know, like, like you said, I'd, I'd be up, or like I said, I'd be up in the corner probably <laughs> mad at myself or back in the, the, the hall somewhere but uh he is out there still enjoying it that just that's the kind of kid he is and that's why you want to cheer for him so much because he seems like su such a great guy yeah and you know uh it, it was interesting uh he jumped in Metcalf's arms after his third place uh 
medal win, which you don't normally see, but you know, hell, that was a heck of an accomplishment. Why not, you know, celebrate and enjoy it? Uh, you know, like you said, you know, I, I think he, uh, I don't think he takes anything for granted, and uh, he, he loves to wrestle, and I know his faith is a big uh, part of that too. Um, you know, and I think, uh, I think he appreciates every, every time on the mat and, and every victory and, and even, uh, knows the, the losses are a part of that too. Um, one thing I wanted to say too, about kind of the situation and mainly because I've kind of gotten, uh, not necessarily a laugh, but. The Iowa women's basketball team lost a tough one at home on Sunday, right? Yep. But one of the things that the fans, not the players and coaches, even though I think coaches were a little critical about some things, but the fans were were really, really uh, 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 crying foul, I guess, uh, uh, pun intended. Um for most of the game, right? Uh, so the officials were, you know, impacted the outcome. Here's here's what I think is different about wrestling, where you have this one-on-one uh, contest. Kevin Dresser talked about the loss that David Carr had with Hunter Willis and pretty much – pointed out the fact that Willett stalled and the official did not call stalling. And he goes, we could whine and cry and complain about it because the officiating really was bad. But here's the thing. There are plenty of opportunities to score where we didn't. And you can't let that be a factor. You've got to find a way to get through it. And he didn't. And that's where, I've seen coaches, I've seen a wrestler come off, complain about, you know, officials call this or that. And I've seen a coach say, listen, you hit opportunities. You didn't, you didn't convert that, that might've happened, but you had plenty of opportunities. And I think that uh, accepting responsibility for performances like that, it's not unique to wrestling, but I think it's, part of the backbone of the sport where you have this one-on-one contest where it's on you and sure people complain about officials and everything else like every other sport but i think when it comes down to competitors and coaches they understand you can't let that be a deciding factor right and uh you know speaking from from both sides a coach and an official as a coach i always said Keep it out of the officials' hands. And I, I'm not the only one that says that. I'm sure every coach out there says that. You know, but but sometimes you're not you're not able to do that. Close matches are close matches, and you, then you you hope for that fair call. And and uh, you know, I think with with the reviews, they're going to be out, be about as fair as it possibly can be because now a third party is going to make the make the call if it's if it's close. So mm-hmm. anyway, uh, so you know that that's the uh, the situation there. So I, it's probably better now than it has been in the past um and i don't think that's anything new but uh you know so with with, with car and just he's the kind of guy that you as a coach you I mean 
you want the most and the best for it because you can see that he lifts your entire team. Everyone around him, you know, is, is better because he's on the team. And those are the kind of guys you just love to have on your team that they're such great leaders and they don't have to necessarily be rah-rah leaders, though it looks like he might be that type and or could, you know, at times. But, you know, just everything's positive. And, and, uh, and one, one other uh, comment, uh, you mentioned that he's, you know, he has a lot of faith base. He wasn't the only one. There were a lot of wrestlers that their comments were, were in that direction. And, you know, that's refreshing. I appreciate that. Um, the, uh, the other thing I'll say about uh, Carr, just kind of looking at what he had to go through on the backside um, here, I'm going to pull up the bracket. Um, you know, uh, his first match, uh, on the backside was Wyatt Sheets of Oklahoma State. Um, Sheets hasn't, hasn't necessarily had the year that he's had in the past, but, uh, um, you know, that, that certainly was no gimme. Um, and then after that, he's got, uh, he had, uh, All-American, uh, and the number nine seed, uh, Caleb Young from Iowa, um, two rounds before um, even a chance at uh, um, All-American status. Uh, and then uh, then he had, I think, the six seed, uh, Frannick from uh, North Dakota State, who apparently uh, the two of them have wrestled, you know, a plethora of times. <laughs> Um, that was uh, a match that he won. He he had three matches there that he won by a total of four points. Um, then he got a medical forfeit into the Constellation semis. Uh, then he beat uh, Luhan uh, or Luan of uh, Michigan uh, fairly handily, and then he beat Peyton Robb of Nebraska uh, seven to two to close things out. But um, not only were was it six matches. But there are some quality guys that were on the backside there uh, that he had to go through and guys that were projected to be on the stand before he even got to that level. Right. And so with Iowa State, you have night and day in terms of – remember we talked, I think, last week about Iowa State doing some damage on the backside or whatever. But, but they did. Carr, which we didn't think was going to be on the backside, but Carr – uh, younger Bastida went five and one on the backside. I think he won five straight. And then uh, Marcus Coleman went four and one on the backside. And he his weren't straight, but he you know he still did a nice job to get seven. Right. And then but then on the other hand, this is the night and day, right? So that's that's the day. The night is the other uh, let's see six competitors. Six or seven? Let's see, six. They had seven. nine, right? Six. Sorry, six. You're right. Six, six competitors. Went one and twelve in the entire tournament. So yeah. that's, they, they just—that's not. I mean, that's ouch. That's not good. And so that's the the, the night side of it. That's the dark side of it, I guess. So, um, but but uh, you know, so that's that's the thing there. You know, they I would have hoped to have done a little bit better with those guys for sure. Yeah, yeah. When when you look at you know Jarrett Dagan, um, you know uh, Ian Parker only winning one one match um as well and he we mentioned how he was on the receiving end one of one of those upsets um by uh the 20 seed um yeah 
you expected a little little bit more um you know uh especially i'd say from 25 41 49 uh ramazan got hurt but you know to be honest you know you weren't going to get too much out of him anyway uh it's just unfortunate the way things closed out iowa state uh you know they were back in 30th at one time um the three all-americans really came back and uh you know, they ended up finishing 17th thanks to those three with uh, 37 points um but you know when you look they're they're only 12 points away from the top 10 which you get production out of a couple of those other weights that puts you into the top 10 unfortunately like you said Outside of those three, uh, it kind of fell short. Right, actually, I think they're nine points out of the top ten, so even closer. But, but uh, yeah, you want those guys doing a little bit better than twelve, one and twelve. That's for sure. Um, I don't know that I really expected a whole lot at twenty-five, uh, but maybe a heavyweight. So you know, just kind of that push and shove. So, um, and I think uh, with with uh, Iowa State, I'm not sure, but I think they have. Is it Parker, Dagan, Coleman, and Schuler? I don't know who has a COVID year in there or not. But those are the uh, they will they will return everybody except for Dagan and Parker. Okay, those two. Okay. Yep. Uh, uh, Skyler, he uh, uh, he does come back. Okay. Ryan Workman, yeah, they'll they'll have him back at heavyweight. Coleman uh, is coming back. Uh, as well and they're redshirt seniors now so that'll be their sixth year yeah yeah i'll be so glad when the covid thing <laughs> gets beyond i i get so confused wondering who's who's back Agreed. um you know yeah. and speaking of that uh the thing that we should mention too uh with iowa um and tom brands mentioned it um he expects spencer lee to be back next year so that tells you a little bit about the medical hardship uh, probably going to go through, and that's that's huge for Iowa. Um, expect Colin Schriever at 133, Wyatt Henson at 141 to fill in spots from DeSanto and Ironman being done. Max Murin will be back um, at 149. Then you've kind of got a hole at 157. Patrick Kennedy probably will step in, at least Alex Marinelli. Uh, kind of touted him as the next guy at 165. Uh, you've got Nelson Brand, so they'll probably slot in at 74 in camera spot, uh, which is more natural for Nelson Brands. Um, then you got Assad, Jacob Warner, even though he's a senior, he'll be back for one more year uh, and confirm that after the semis. And then Cassiope uh, back as well. Um, and speaking of returners, UNI is going to return all eight individuals that wrestled uh, in the national tournament. Um, even a ninth, uh, Kale Happel, who was an alternate, he'll be back as well, um, even though he didn't uh, get the call um, to compete. But UNI finished 20th at one time. Uh, I think after the first session, they were in sixth place, um, got off to a really good start. Um, all eight individuals won at least one match um, for you and I, uh, you know, like I said, they finished 20th uh, uh, with 28 and a half points. 
Parker Kekai is in the only All-American, though. Uh, he finished third for the second straight year. Um, avenged his loss to uh, Bernie Truax of Cal Poly, uh, who he lost to in the quarters and came back and beat him, um, I think, for third place. But uh, in that, a really good tournament from uh, Kekaisen. Um, you know, except for that uh, blip in the quarters, but I think third is probably, I thought, I thought he could get by miles and mean, um, and get to the finals at least. But, uh, I think third, I think a lot of people would not and say, yeah, that's, that's already be. Well, that's very good. I, I mean, with, with Parker and, and I'm like you, I would have liked to have seen that match with him. I mean, but uh, I mean, uh, but Parker, he's he's so he's so fun to watch, man. He's energized and running, man. He just comes at you and goes and goes, and he and he does it from distance, and he's got such great finishes, and never really gets out of position with those long shots, and and uh, he's got a, a variety of different attacks, and it's just it's just fun to watch him. And he was able to re- avenge his loss to Truex, whom he lost to in the quarters, was it? And then. And then uh, he beat him for third and fourth. And uh, again, that was a, a close match with some reviews in it or blood or something that slowed it down. And <laughs> But, uh, uh, you know, I guess those reviews are kind of part of the norm anymore. Uh, regarding you and I, though, here's some interesting stuff. Schwab's teams, he's been there for 11 contested seasons now, I guess. Obviously, two years ago was not contested. Right. But the 11 tournaments if I remember right, and of those 11, five of them, he's finishing in the top 20, and his best finish was in 2019 when they were 14th, I believe, and he had his finalist, or his champion in, uh, in Drew, Frost, Drew Foster, though it would have been nice to see in 2020 what Lujan would have done as the number one seed, and another fun wrestler to watch, too. So. Well, it's funny you mentioned 2020, because Jim Nelson... Uh, and I got to give a shout out to Jim Nelson. Uh, he came, uh, he joined us uh, uh, in Detroit uh, and helped with the Gazette coverage um, and did a nice job covering you and I uh, and doing some other things as well. Um, in addition to just the you and I stories, but we were talking about that on the drive home. And when you look at who they had, where they had Lujan, uh, Steyer was seated fourth or fifth that year. Uh, Max Thompson was his senior year, even though he wasn't quite at the same level that he had been earlier in his career. He was an All-American. Uh, you had Jay Schwarm uh, that led, I think, led the entire country, D1 in pins. Cradles. Yep. Um, that, uh, you know, it would have been a long shot for him to make the podium, but we were talking about the four points he could have gotten on the backside with a couple pins. Uh, and that could have been a big difference. Um, you know, Carter Isley was still younger and, and fresher. And I know there's a lot of, uh, you know, what ifs that the ifs and nuts and uh, if ifs and buts were candy and nuts, it'd be Christmas all year long. Right. But uh, uh, I think you and I was really poised for a good season. It's too bad. You talk about 2020, Robin, a lot of people hit you and I, uh, I think, more than people might realize. Right. And I don't remember if Hoslog was hurt at that point in time or not, but he was 
somewhere in there as well. I don't know if he'd have been a factor, but but uh, uh, yeah, so, so definitely yeah, missed that one. Yeah, that, that's but, uh, a lot of teams that happen to and individuals. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> know that for sure. Um, you know, and I, and I know this isn't this doesn't make Doug Schwab happy because. You know, he only sees what's kind of in front of him right now. You know, he sees they finished twentieth, and you know, I'm sure, I'm sure he acknowledges that. Hey, uh, you know, we've got a lot of people coming back. We can make some some big gains and and take a big leap up the standings. But um, I don't think he's hanging his head on tying for twentieth and you know saying. Oh yeah, next year is going to be the year because he wants it to happen, you know. Um, but from an outsider looking in, we can say it differently. Um, they have a lot of potential, um, you know. When you you look at Teskey uh, at one twenty five, uh, I think Biscaglia only gets better each time, you know. And forget, it's easy to forget. This was Biscaglia's first postseason, you know. Um, Kale Happel, I think, ha has potential. Um, Colin Real Buto, uh, wrestled well, I think, came on stronger. Uh, Derek Holschlag has uh, moments, you know. Of course, Yant and, and Runyon, uh, are, are fun to watch, and then you've got Parker, who's you know, uh, just fantastic. You said Energizer Bunny, I, I think. That was one of the ways I described him watching in a couple of matches because you talk about chain wrestling, but yeah. there are just things where he just transitioned from one to another and there's no reset. It's bang, 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 bang. And that's where he does a lot of his damage because guys will, you know, sit out or hip heist and try to face him. And next thing you know, he's right back in on a shot. Yeah. And you just got one for an escape and he's already in working for two, you know, before the the points on the board and that's where that's where he does a lot of damage and it's something that i don't think it's easy to do but you know he's been he's fantastic and uh and then you look at uh you know you have gunderson back uh at 197 and then heavyweight uh terrell gordon who won a match and then unfortunately had to face the gable stevenson after that but uh, certainly uh, a really strong lineup coming back for you and I. Did you have a favorite wrestler in the tournament other than uh, you and I, Iowa State, or, or Iowa wrestler? Oh. It's probably tough. You're busy doing this, so you don't get relaxed and be leisure. Yeah, I don't see a lot. Um, there, there are some uh, – boy, I'd, I'd, have to, I'd have to think about that. Kind of catching you off. Let me let me describe mine, and then maybe you'll come up with one. So yeah. for me, my favorite was Austin Gomez. Man, oh. I don't know if you got to see those his matches, but that guy lets it fly, and I mean high flying. He's he's throwing big time stuff with his match with um oh what's his name uh and 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 don't and Donian from Virginia Tech. He had two matches with him. And Donian uh, was one that was fun to watch. Right. He's my second yeah. favorite. <laughs> yeah. They're wrestling each other. And uh, 
in in in, in that second match, um, Gomez came up and hit two. I don't remember if they were headlocks or what the heck they were bear hugs or something, and then came and missed it. Came up again, hit it again, like within three seconds. I mean, that's the kind of fireworks that were in that match. So if you want to go see a fun match, then you can go back and watch some of the wrestling. Those those two matches were so that Gomez was. I mean, Gomez was an Iowa State wrestler that quit because of concussions and then came back this year. You know, felt healthy enough and motivated enough. And man, I'm glad he did because it was fun for me to watch him wrestle. So there's my favorite wrestler of the tournament other than a, a, an in-state wrestler. <clears throat> yeah, uh, Andonian was uh, one that I really enjoyed watching. Um, it's not necessarily the wrestlers involved, but the exchange. So you've seen me on press row. You know, there's not there's not cheering for me. You know, uh, I, I enjoy the action when I can, when I'm, my face isn't in the computer trying to do live updates on Twitter or uh, running to get quotes or whatever. Um, you know, try to enjoy the action. But the winning takedown in the heavyweight semifinal between Colton Schultz and uh, yeah. Wood, do you remember that? I do. Yes. So they were in sudden victory, and it was 1-1, but Jordan Wood hits a high crotch explodes in and you're talking both of these guys are 280 285 they've got to be i don't know oh. exactly what they weighed in but they're both big fellers right mm -hmm. he explodes you think he's finishing oh he gets him up off the mat elevates him he's bringing him down and finishing colton schultz wraps around the head schultz of course big greco you know accomplished greco wrestler keeps that head uh, and arm lock, and then is able, after Wood finishes, he rolls him through, able to come out on top and then get a takedown. Jim Nelson and I were kind of pushing each other while it was going on, going, look, look, oh, wow. Oh, my God, oh, my God. That was a moment that was one of the more excited. You know, there are some great flurries throughout the tournament. That was fun. Uh, to see, especially when you think, one, the size of the individual, the power that had to be generated in that, right. and two, this was in the the eighth minute of the match, right. um, that you don't normally see that type of uh, explosion uh, from, right. from heavyweights, and I thought that was a fun exchange. Right, and that was not that was not a momentum thing. It was a pure power and, and athletic athleticism thing. So. Okay. That's interesting. You should bring that up because my next question was, was not really a question, but, but I was commenting on probably everyone's favorite moment. I, and I, I don't know if you, I'm sure you've seen it since if you didn't see it at the time, but it was, it was the, the final 10 seconds after, or was it, it was the 10 seconds after the final 20 seconds of the teamer Rob match. And I don't know if you saw that flurry. It was just yeah. an incredible back and forth. And Teamer got a takedown and cut him immediately. And then it's a battle. It was a battle for that takedown. And then it was a battle for the for this next takedown to, yeah, I don't know if it tied it or would have won it. But when, they, when the buzzer ended, both the wrestlers collapsed, laid on their back, just heaving because they were so exhausted. And, and then they looked at each other, reached over and grabbed with their hands and shook hands. And it, it was, a, it, you know, many people have commented on seen it, yeah. but... That was the, the moment of the tournament to me because that was wrestling at its finest. 
in yeah. so many different levels. You know, I I agree one hundred percent. That was uh, that that was really cool. Uh, that was that was something that uh, you know uh, both of those guys. You talk about leaving it all out on the mat, right? Leave it all out there. Give it give every ounce of energy and both of them did, you know, reminds me of something, uh, uh, coach Baxter once said, you know, uh, don't, don't save the energy to walk off the mat. If you need it, I'll carry you off. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and they did. Yep. yep that's exactly what they did. That was so cool. Another fun moment was, uh, Runyon's Ken, he got a cradle, of Montan Montan Montana, whatever his name is. From uh, Oklahoma U, I don't remember his, what his name is, Montanona. Anyway, and then uh, cradled him up for the pin. And uh, the OU kid didn't like that too well. Stood up and must have said some words or whatever, and uh, and then uh, ended up uh, uh, pushing and little. And, and you could tell it. Runyon wasn't into it. He wasn't going to do anything, but but uh, you could see that it was a little upset. So that was kind of fun for me. It was, it was kind of it's kind of interesting because I think it carried out into the tunnel. Oh, it did. Uh, where the OU the OU uh, uh, wrestler was still yelling and and pursuing things, you know. But like you said, you and I and Ronnie were just walking away. You know, they didn't want to have anything to do with it. Um, and it's kind of interesting. I hope Jim Nelson doesn't mind me sharing this, but Jim Nelson went and talked to Lance Runyon uh, right away and. I think uh, Jim said he asked, hey, do you have a second to talk? He goes, yeah, as long as you watch my back for me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, yeah, that, that was something that was uh, uh, – it, luckily it didn't turn out to be worse than what it was because it, turned, it really seemed to be more comical yeah. than anything because it was just one guy throwing a fit more than anything after yeah. getting pinned. That's what I thought too. You just, yeah. just kick my butt. You want to kick my butt again? Sort of yeah, thing. right. <laughs> so, so now that being said, I wanted to mention this too, KJ. Uh, Rebecca Roper, you might have read this. She's oh, the wife of UNI assistant coach Lee Roper and, and is a wrestling hall of fame museum curator. And she had a thought-provoking question on social media that said, Can we normalize cheering for others? And this was it was when she was cheering for Iowa State in, in Iowa, even though she has you and I strong you and I connections. Her husband mm -hmm. is the coach, and so you know, and I appreciated that, and, and I'm the same way, you know. So, and my response was, an athlete, coach, and fan base earns my respect and admiration, and I'm proud to cheer for for all those that earn that admiration. And what, you know, I don't care what color uniform they're wearing. So, and, but you know, that being said. Why can't we? It's, everyone gets, you know, Iowa and Iowa State and, you know, so negative with the other. Can't we just cheer for, for everyone and, uh, and, and respect the, you know, what's going on there? So, anyway, that's my soapbox there for, for today. <laughs> no, I agree. I agree with you. I, I agree 100%. Of course, it's a little different from my perspective because I cover them. I cover them all. So, you know, I don't necessarily cheer for them. But I certainly have a lot of respect for all of them. Um, and I want to see good stories kind of play out for, for all of them. And, and to tell you the truth, I, I have the same respect for even uh, 
schools outside of the state, you know, um, just to, to have that appreciation because you know how much effort goes into seven minutes, you know, and you know how much, you know, that was three days, right? That tournament was three days. For that three days, there's 362 days of work, right. you know? So why not? Why not appreciate and respect everybody? Cheer, Yeah, okay, I get it. If you're an Iowa fan and an Iowa, you know, you've got David Carr and Caleb Young for seven minutes, root against Iowa State. And then afterwards, you know, pat him on the back. Hey, I hope, I hope he finishes as high as possible. Um, if it's not going to be my my guy doing it, you know what I mean. Right. Um, so, you, you, I, I don't want to go this direction very deep, but I, it always made me wonder when, if you're truly an Iowa state of Iowa fan, uh-huh. wouldn't you cheer, cheer for the kids that came from Iowa? Right. You know, obviously that you know there's more to it than that, but you know. So in that respect, wouldn't you cheer for, at least currently, probably you and I. I think they probably have more Iowa. I know they do. I read that off last week. Uh, Iowa natives. So, But obviously you're going to cheer for the team that, you know, that brings them in and recruits those good athletes. But you know, it's just another perspective there. Yeah. You know, one thing I just mentioned really, really quick, um, and this has to do with the Iowa Conference, American Rivers Conference, and I'll go back to uh, my senior year where we had – a uh, national champion in Ryan Schweitzberger. And also that year, uh, Simpson had a national champ in uh, 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 Corey uh, Christensen um, as well. And I want to say maybe Ben Shane won it that year in Young Arena, but I can't quite remember uh, if he did. But I remember, you know, we didn't like Warburg, to be honest with you. You know, when we were when we were wrestling against them, we didn't like them. But I remember when we took a trip to Florida, the guys hung out and got along, you know, away from competition. But that national tournament, when Corey Christensen took the map for Simpson, the BV, Warburg, Laura Skies were all cheering for, for Simpson, for Corey Christensen. When Ryan Schweitzberger was wrestling against a kid from Ohio Northern, remember hearing the Wartburg crowd cheer for for Schweitz and you know the other you know uh, the Simpson crowd cheer. Why not? Why why can't that be the norm? Yeah, exactly. You know, I'm guessing people um, cheer for Big Ten teams that I hope they do anyway. That are not if you're a Big Ten Iowa fan or if you're an Iowa State fan, the big, or you and I fan, the Big Twelve, right. you know. So you know those types of things, and and it, that that goes down to high school level too, you know. So no, for sure. The, another kind of neat moment was was the brotherly love that was shown with the uh, with the the Hayden Heidley interview, and then also Gabe Gabe, uh, Gabe Dean's emotion when he was hugging Max after he won. So that's pretty neat. I you know as having a brother in the sport, I. I, I Kind of got my my strings there a little bit. <laughs> yeah, um, I showed the highly video interview to my daughters who actually play softball together. the The thing that got me, and 
kind of chokes me up even just kind of thinking about it a little bit. When Heidley said, I would take 100 losses for him to win one match. Yeah. That, that tells you a lot. It tells you about the, the selfless nature and just that, you know, the way they push each other and they're there for each other. That was pretty cool. That was pretty special. Agreed. Very cool. Um, so overall, overall this season, this is pretty been, this has been a pretty, uh, a long year, it seems like, but, uh, if you had an opportunity to kind of name the, the kind of the MVP, um, maybe of the Iowa schools or, or even, you know, your top guy from Iowa, Iowa state, you and I, uh, who would, Let's start with Iowa. Who would you, who would your MVP be of this season? For Iowa? Yes. I, you know, I have to go with um, – I guess I have to go with DeSanto. I, I, did, I hadn't thought specifically of each school, but, but uh, you know, DeSanto was just there. And, you know, DeSanto, you know, he has his issues and those sort of things. But, man, the guy was there all year long and – and did have a little bit of an injury here there early on, maybe, or whatever, and other issues. But, man, he just did what he was supposed to do and, and went out and battled. And, and he did it this year without his workout partner, you know, in, in uh, Spencer Lee. And so, for me, I guess I'm going to go with DeSanto. There's a couple of choices there. Obviously, Warner, you know, stepping up and being a runner-up. But I, I'm going to go with DeSanto. Um, for me, obviously – you know, Warner had the best finish at the end. Um, Marinelli, you know, he was very consistent. Uh, won his fourth uh, Big Ten title. Um, that's certainly um, somebody to consider. But I have to agree with you. Um, I think Austin DeSanto was probably the most consistent um, from start to finish. Um, and somebody that, uh, not only, not only won, unless he was wrestling Roman Bravo young, um, but also was the most consistent in scoring bonus points, which really seemed to be, uh, few and far between for the, the Iowa lineup, uh, throughout the season. So, um, I agree with, uh, Santo. I would assume Iowa State, you and I are pretty, pretty self-explanatory, right? Or pretty, uh, yeah, with Carr and Kekeisen. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, one thing we didn't touch on too, we talked about surprise finalists and, and stuff like that, and I asked you about uh, uh, surprise finish for a team. Did you happen to look? Uh, do you have anybody that really kind of stands out? Oh, I think there's three teams that really stand out personally. I'm curious as to which one you chose. Uh, the one I chose was Northwestern. Okay. Yeah. Was one that stood out to me uh, at the Big Tens, where you get so caught up in the top three, maybe even top four. And then I think it was Sunday afternoon of the Big Tens. It was like, holy crap, Northwestern's in fifth. You know, they were jockeying with Ohio State. You know, at one point, and it's sitting there going, "That's 
you would have said that to me two, three years ago. I would have said, you're nuts, you know? Um, and then for them, not only to do that, but to finish sixth, um, this last weekend, that, that was, uh, one, a surprise, but also a, a hell of an accomplishment for, uh, Matt Storniolo and, and that group. Right. And, and to add on to that, they wrestled 13 spots above their seats. Wow. And, and if you think about it, they lost their coaching staff. Remember their coaching staff resigned or was not, or was let go, fired because of a vaccine issue. I don't, I don't think they wanted to do vaccines or whatever. So, I mean, you know, so the, all of those situations, pretty good. Um, yeah. Northwestern, no question. That was one of mine that I had, you know, I'm going to throw this in. It's not one of my picks, but uh, Nebraska had a great tournament as well. They're fifth. They came in ranked ninth. Uh, Northwestern came in ranked 17th and finished sixth. Uh, anyway, with Nebraska, they had five All-Americans and two other guys that lost in the blood round in red and Benz. And then uh, Benz lost to, uh, I think, to uh, Kikaisen, wasn't it? Maybe. And yep. then, But anyway, they wrestled 16 spots above their seat. So wow. uh, um, the other two that stood out, and I'm going to go with one of these two. I'm going to go with this, the last one. North Carolina, who wrestled the, the tournament high 18 above their seed, most of that was wow. it was Clark at, at uh, 49, was he? Anyway, yep. 15th seed to the second. Or 41, 41. Or 41, yeah. And uh, he did, you know, so they had uh, qualified six and had three All-Americans. But then the other one is Oregon State. That's the one that stood out to me. They, you know, they, they were 17 above their seeds and they finished 12 as a team. Um, I don't know what they were ranked when they were coming in, but not 12th. I know that. No, no. And they have a second year coach. You know, that's where Zaleski was and, and then is now with the Jimmies. Anyway, uh, so Chris Pendleton came in and in, in his second year has clear up to 12th and he had eight qualifiers and four All-Americans. So I'm, I went with Oregon State, KJ. Yeah, they, uh, and they uh, oh, might have been Thursday night or Friday, they put together some really, really good rounds to where all of a sudden we're like, oh my, Oregon State's 4-0 this round. Yeah. You know, they, they, uh, they wrestled very, very well. Yeah. And that, you know, when you, when you look at some of the things that are happening out West, you know, and you've seen Arizona State, uh, you know, win their second straight trophy. Uh, you've got Oregon State that, that's made a jump. Um, you know, Cal Poly had some uh, some guys transfer in. You've seen – tell you the one to really look out for that I think uh, think could make a jump next year at Stanford. I think that's one to keep an eye on uh, as well. And you're looking at some of those programs along the West Coast that are starting to – really improve um it's gonna be one of those things of a high tide raises all boats um situation so it's gonna be fun to kind of watch how west coast wrestling uh does in the next couple of years right it'll be fun that that uh again like, like you said stanford go figure last year they were dropping their program this year now we're saying look out for them so Yep. We could have this year if they if their guys would have stayed back, you know, and not jump ship, which I don't blame them that they dropped the program, right? right. Griffith. Yep. So 
Um, and then I know they've got some good recruits coming in, including Hunter Garvin, um, you know, from Iowa City West, and, and Rob Cole, obviously, moving from Cornell to Stanford. So, um, be interesting to watch uh, there. And Arizona State has a lot coming back, Oregon State as well. So, that'll be fun. Um, other thing I want to mention, too, Princeton, for the first time in school history, two, two finalists. Uh, and Pat Glory and uh, Quincy Monday, both uh, runners runners up. But, uh, um, you know, that was good considering, like we mentioned with Cornell, um, Ivy League schools did not have a season last year um, overall. So um, good to see that uh, that happened for uh, the coaches there um, at, uh, at Princeton. Um, any other uh, – any other – Kind of final words or, or parting shots? Yeah, I uh, I have this, KJ. This is my thought for the end of the season. And I'll end it with this. College athletics has and will change because of the transfer portal rule. Mm -hmm. We're seeing it a little bit in wrestling, but more so in other sports. And I personally think it's out of hand in those other sports. But, you know, it, it, it's here. And, and, I, and I hope the NCAA will amend that rule somehow and, and rein it back in. But because of that, look for additions or subtractions from these Iowa teams. You know, we've, we've seen, you know, uh, one wrestler head out of you and I head up to Minnesota and, you know, here and there. But, but you know, hopefully more come in than out. But, but uh, that's part of the game anymore. And coaches have to be doing that, which sucks as an athlete because you're getting recruited over, even though you might be an All-American there and have been loyal to the team for four or five, six years even. And then, you know, your coaches might not have your back or whatever. But they have to kind of do that too to, to keep up and keep their jobs, you know, I guess, sadly. Yeah. But, so that's my parting shot, I guess. You know what? You keep, keep an eye on the transfer portal. You might see some of that going on. Oh, for sure. I, I have no doubt that uh, we'll either see some new faces on the three Iowa teams or uh, we'll see guys with, uh, with different color singlets on, um, not uh, within the state. Um, come next year. So, no, I agree 100%. Well, it's been another fun year. I tell you what, uh, you know, it's uh, it's the longest and shortest uh, five months, six months of the year. I, I tell you, between uh, how things go, but then when you look back on it, it's like, wow, can't believe it's over. Yep, for sure. It's been fun, though. A lot of great wrestling. The kids at all levels really were fun to follow. I uh, wanted to say thank you to Nate Ford. Um, really appreciate him uh, putting together our podcast each and every week. Uh, we couldn't do this without him. And then uh, uh, I want to say the biggest thanks for you, Coach Briggs. Uh, really uh, enjoyed being the being able to work with you, uh, whether it's on TV or the podcast, um, throughout the high school and, and college season, um, really thank you for taking the time and putting up with me and uh, being able to to fit in uh, some media responsibilities inside of uh, your officiating and everything else that you have going on, especially uh, since you're a parent um, for a competitor here. Um, 
up until a couple of weeks ago. So really appreciate that. Thank you for everything that you do to promote the sport um, in a wearing a variety of different hats. Uh, and it's, it's very much appreciated. Love our sport and thank you for including me. It's been a blast. Awesome. Well, only one thing left to, to say. Um, yep. I was yeah. able to wear my uh, Keep Wrestling on the Move shirt in Detroit. Make sure uh, why it's there um, in spirit no matter what. And why don't you go ahead and send us out for one last time on the 2021-22 season. For today, this one's a echo, a shout out to Matt Shannon, but mostly Wyatt. Let's keep wrestling on the move. Get a daily update from the Gazette with our daily news podcast. Add it to your podcast player or your Alexa-friendly device to get a bite-sized local news update each day. Check it out at thegazette.com slash podcasts.